0: Welcome, you're listening to Sanseet, where you'll find everything to do with spirituality, life lessons, holistic living, and medicine, to become your true self. We all have stories, journeys,
1: experiences, and love. Here's your host, Aaron O'Dowd.
0: Hello and welcome, on today's show our guest is a fashion model, a mom, a writer and she helps people with parenting, health and so on. Our guest today is Alison Canavan, hello and welcome to the show today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Tell us about how you got into modeling.
1: Wow, it seems so long ago, I'm modeling about 24 years now. So I started when I was about 15 when a friend of my mom put me in for a competition here in Ireland, I don't know if you remember, Head to Toe. It was a show that was on many, many years ago, and um, I think it was like, similar to an off-the-rail type show. And they had a model competition which I won, and then I went to London. And then I entered into, I represented Ireland in the four supermodel of the world competition, and I went to Las Vegas, and I came ninth, and I went straight to Paris modeling. So I kind of just took off from there. As soon as I left school, I moved to London and then consequently spent 17 years traveling around the world as a model.
0: What was the stress you found being a model over that time?
1: The job itself was kind of an amazing opportunity. I got to travel the world, but personally myself, I would have been struggling with health issues like you know depression and anxiety. And that would have been there, I think, regardless of whether I was in the model industry or not. It, it was just the way things were. And we found out many, many years later, just a few years ago, that I had something called pyluria, which we can talk about a little bit later. So I suppose my industry, when you're traveling, can be a little lonely at times. You know, you're traveling on your own an awful lot. You're in airports on your own an awful lot. You're in hotels on your own an awful lot. So, you know, when you're feeling low or when you're feeling a bit anxious, that is probably not the best thing. And traveling makes me feel quite anxious as well. But like with with everything, with all the good comes bad, you know, and during my career, I suppose, my industry was like a double-edged sword. So. It gave me the ability to run away from my problems, um, which was not great, you know. So if I was like, if I wasn't happy in, say, London or New York, I would just go to Miami for a few months. And, you know, since I have really started my career in health and wellness and written my book, Minding Mom, I truly understand that I was running away from myself. I was trying to find happiness. And I was doing what a lot of people do in the Western world, which is looking for happiness in external things. So in my next job or in my boyfriend and, you know, i really thought we're taught really since we're so young that our value and our worth comes from things that are external and comes from people, what people think of us. So I suppose I was on this journey of looking for this release of happiness, traveling around the world, chasing it always external to myself and never really kind of looking within, which is something I've been doing for the last few years.
0: Being a model, did you find it hard to, um, with food and weight and all that, in that area?
1: You know, when I was very lucky, I was always very naturally, very thin. So I was, I was the kind of model where everyone could say, oh my God, she eats what she wants and never puts on weight. Um, my mom has five kids and she was exactly the same, she just never put on weight. So genetically, I was blessed. And um, Although it didn't stop you getting caught up in the mindset of being ridiculously obsessed with your body I mean you know you to remember that modelling is a job where you wake up every day and it's all about what you look like it's not really about who you are so and that, that only really came to light recently I was doing a I don't do that much modelling anymore compared to what I used to and I was doing a commercial recently I remember being in the room and realising how differently the talent are treated because I do a lot of talks internationally now I, I've written a book I you know I do an awful lot of other things um, where I'm treated quite differently and I never really understood the difference until this particular job where just how people spoke to you and how we were treated during the day was just very different to everyone else and I thought wow I was immersed in this world for so long doing 10 castings a day, doing various jobs and you know sometimes the talent is just that, just the talent. Further down the list. So it was very interesting for me to observe that from a very different perspective. But no, I'm very lucky I could kind of eat what I want um, all the way through growing up. Um, and that's the one thing I suppose that I was blessed with. But that didn't stop me comfort eating, you know, at times when I was feeling down. So I, I think like it's very, very there's many different ways we can kind of abuse food. You know, you don't have to have a weight problem to abuse food like if i say if i had a bikini campaign and my confidence was rock bottom i would do things like order a dominoes you know it's like you get yourself into this cycle of just like it's like self-abuse and self-harm and you know i wouldn't feel great in my body and i'd be like oh i'm going to order pizza because i don't care about myself anyway so there was definitely trends within my behavior which were very very unhealthy towards food and when you're feeling low and depressed hands-on medication you don't really want to put good food into your body so i would have eaten quite a poor diet at times which would have been feeding my depression and anxiety unfortunately and then um, so you're kind of getting into that cycle so I do think it's important we change the conversation around um, food that it's not just a weight based issue, there's an awful lot of pin or what they call a uh, straight-sized in America, people who would have different unhealthy relationships with food for different reasons.
0: You mentioned anxiety, was that towards modelling or just trying to focus around the mental aspect of it? No,
1: I just suffered from anxiety and from when I was very young, before I even went into modelling, I kind of suffered from quite low moods in the morning and then as the years went on I would have developed anxiety and the anxiety was presented itself, you know, when I was travelling on public transport, on tubes and subways. Various different you know out in public going to events different things I'm reserved now hesitant to blame the modeling industry because I think these are things that I would have suffered from whether I was in the modeling industry or not and um, knowing now my history with my health, definitely you know going into casting or whatever if i was feeling anxious that day it wouldn't have helped but my depression anxiety got worse over the years because it wasn't being treated properly you know it was being treated the medical way it was being treated by throw a pill at it and nobody was kind of connecting the dots for me in any other way so that's the reason why it kept getting worse and worse and worse i mean you can't just keep throwing pills at problems and hoping they'll remedy themselves without getting to the root cause of the
0: problem. Through your modeling with this, did you could you see highs and lows of your mood and regarding your work?
1: Um, I was always very good at putting on a good face at work, actually. So, you know, you become very good at kind of faking it, like, so, see, I always thought everybody felt quite low when they got up in the morning. I didn't think this was something that was unique to me because it's kind of how it always felt. And I know differently now because I feel so great, and that's the difference. But when I used to get up and then I just used to put on my work face, and I would be, you know, like most of us, we get up and we just put on our face and it took an awful lot of energy now to be in a great mood at work and be ultra-professional. And then when I got home in the evening, I would be absolutely exhausted, just absolutely exhausted from putting all that energy and effort. Into kind of being a little bit happier than I was. Yeah, I would have. I, we adjust our lives to cope with the way we are or the different ailments we have. Kind of most people who have different physical ailments or mental ailments will tell you that. You start to adjust your way of living to cope with the different issues that you have and to try and hide them as well.
0: Before you discovered your anxiety and depression, uh, how were you coping with after modeling and work in your own uh, environment?
1: Oh, partying would it have been my big way of kind of, you know, relaxing. So I was in an industry where, you know, it was, uh, was completely normal to party most days of the week. So, you know, having a few glasses of wine in the evening was really the only time where I felt completely relaxed i felt completely at ease it was the only time i got reprieved from this kind of manic feeling so i used to i had a very healthy relationship with partying party party Ali was, was someone everybody knew you know she was great fun she was at all parties i'm completely sober now and um, the last couple of years so because i realized my relationship with alcohol was was not healthy and was never going to be healthy so i i gave it up for good
0: Oh, what stage of your life you discovered that you had a, a problem with your your mental aspects?
1: Oh, I would have discovered those problem. I would have known from very young. Like, I would have always gone to the doctor and, you know, my depression or anxiety would have been blamed on things like the pill um, and various things. Like, I would have always been aware, you know, that what's wrong with me is not normal, you know, or there would have been times where I was very, very low and just had a complete inability to communicate, but yet again, like I always dealt with it, the medical route, and they went and they just gave you medication and they sent you away. And that was just the way it was. It certainly wasn't the way things are today. Very, very different.
0: How did you figure out another alternative to, instead of the medical route, to help you, um, to help you more?
1: Well, I was always, I suppose, a spiritual soul seeker, so from a very young age, I was, you know, I was working out and doing yoga and meditating and you know, doing retreats all the way through my 20s. So kind of I was always, on one hand, Party was having great fun, and on the other hand, there was a spiritual soul-seeker, but they were kind of running parallel. And the one thing I never did during that time is kind of connect all of those dots together. So we have a tendency to treat different aspects of ourselves separately, and to work on one aspect of ourselves at a time. So whether it be food or fitness or, meditation or our job or our career or college I mean we just focus in on one aspect and I think we need to look at the bigger picture all the time and make sure that there's some semblance of balance in our life which is something that I really wasn't doing and um, I was kind of very all or nothing I was either getting up in the morning and half five in the morning and going to the gym every day or not going to the gym at all or you know which just sends you into this negative spiral of you know, self-abuse, because what you do is that you're doing everything so full throttle and full force that if you say, don't go to the gym five days a week, then you beat up on yourself and you feel very bad about yourself. So there was always this kind of negative self-talk and this negative cycle going on in the background, even though I desperately wanted to better myself. So all the way through these years, I was always looking or searching to kind of see how I could find a balance and how I could better myself. And really the, the lasting change... Began when I discovered I was pregnant, and I broke up with my boyfriend and came home to Ireland. And I had my son, and I um, suffered from postnatal depression. And that was probably the first time in my life where I wasn't able to run from my problems because it wasn't just about me anymore. I had somebody else to look after, and he was relying on me. So, you know, my pregnancy—I always say James is an angel that was sent to me because he absolutely saved my life, and I do believe that it's at times like that where we think you know our, our world is falling apart that is the opportunity for greatest change and growth that can happen and because i wasn't able to run and because i wanted to get better for him and i wanted to be the best mom i could be i decided that was it i was going to really try and truly get to the root cause of my problems and again i was put on medication and i kind of thought to myself as i was recovering there has got to be more to this there just got to be more than being handed medication. I really wanted to try and understand myself. So it set off in a journey that started seven years ago of deep study, deep research into myself, going back to college and I started to really, really clean up my diet and understand what foods affected depression and, you know, what foods affected anxiety and I started to go back and exercise and I was meditating every single day and I the the fog started to lift and the clouds started to lift and as I started to come off my medication, I, I really started to understand, you know, the connection between body, mind, and spirit, and the fact that I had to kind of balance all of them. And I started to do small things every day. So instead of years ago where it was been like an hour and a half long meditation in the evening, twice a week in classes, I started to do ten minutes every single morning. I, I've been keeping a gratitude net diary for about six and a half years this amazing lady called Madge Fogarty down in PND.ie told me to start writing down the things that were, not even that I was grateful for at the time, but the things that that I was doing. Because as a new mother, we're very quick to put ourselves down and start, you know, what we're not doing and what we're not achieving and comparing ourselves to others. So I started with the simplest of things like, I had a shower today. I changed my baby. I fed my baby. And I was adding to that list every single day. And I started to notice that the list was genuinely making me feel better. So I've been keeping a gratitude diary every single holiday. It's one of the habits that I love doing. Because even if I wake up and I'm not in great form, consciously making yourself right down three things you're grateful for is a very powerful practice. So I have daily, what I I like to call daily happiness habits now um, that I have in my life. And I wouldn't live any other way I've completely changed how I live and I've completely changed my attitude to what a healthy lifestyle is and obviously because of my depression and anxiety I didn't really have to get up and go to want to live better to want to treat myself better but it was really interesting though on, the, on my journey to wanting to help myself for my child that at a time when I was recovering from postnatal depression I suddenly had this massive shift where I went you know what I actually need to do this for me, not just for the baby, but for me. And that was a big moment for me because the nature and journey of becoming a mother means that we usually put everybody, including the children, before us and we're usually the person that comes last in the equation. And I really started to understand the whole idea and theory of self-care and how important self-care is for not just mothers, but for everybody on the planet. And it's the one thing in the Western world that we're taught really not to do. You know, we're not encouraged from a young age to be kind to ourselves or to treat ourselves well. You know, we're always taught to put other people first. And the truth and the reality of it is that if we put ourselves first and we nurture and nourish ourselves, that we have so much more to give to everybody
0: else. During that kind of, let's just say, detox of um, trying to get back to a a better life, what kind of foods do you discover that uh, caused your depression?
1: Like anything processed you know really kind of watching the amount of sugar in my diet so you know i would have been desperate for like if i was feeling low just getting takeaways or having a lot of desserts and sugar see when you're feeling low you just want to be fueled with bad food you know because your self-worth isn't there your self-esteem isn't there you don't value yourself uh, very much so i really changed my diet like everything would now be fresh and organic and lots of leafy green vegetables and a variety of different colors so I really, really consciously just chucked out all that processed stuff, like anything like cereals, anything like that was just gone out the window, replaced with, you know, fresh porridge. I kind of took, you know, the opinion that anything that has a shelf life of a very, very long time or anything that has ingredients in it that I can't, I can't understand and I can't pronounce, well, then they weren't allowed in my diet. And it really did make a big difference. And... In the beginning, these changes can be quite difficult, but once you start to eat better and you start to feel better, well, then you want more of what's making you feel better. So it's kind of slow that the change happens and the growth happens, but I did really find that, like, I just love having raw juices in the morning and my porridge, it just sets me up for the day and, you know, started to replace my coffee with things like matcha tea, which is matcha green tea is like a powdered form of green tea. And I make all my own nutmecks now and it has got loads of L-theanine in it, which is an amino acid that's great for calming the central nervous system and it also releases energy slowly over three to five hours, so it doesn't destabilize your blood sugar like coffee does. So there were small changes that I made which make a really, really big difference because, you know, you are what you eat. You've heard it a million times. So, you know, it affects your mood, it affects your sleep, your food, it affects everything. You know, your blood sugar, so in your energy levels and your ability to concentrate as well. So... I would only really drink water, there is, I have one major rule for my son and that's absolutely no fizzy drinks and try and reduce sugar as much as possible and just fresh, 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 as much fresh food as you can get in is the key.
0: How did it feel making these small adjustments to your life?
1: Um, making small adjustments is far easier and uh, far more manageable. I was the queen of trying to make massive adjustments. You know, I get very excited when the heating's working, so I always want to like make these huge big changes and change things overnight. And it's, I suppose it's that same theory that people do when it's, um, you know, New Year's Eve, and you're like, okay, I'm going to wake up tomorrow, I'm going to completely change my diet, I'm going to exercise every day, I'm going to do this. and. What I I soon learned is that, you know, as human beings, we can't change all those behaviors all at one time because inevitably what we're going to do is fail and we're going to fall down on these new behaviors and then we feel bad about ourselves and we just go back to the way things are. So I started to research a lot about change in human behavior and one thing I learned was that small changes that are introduced over time that become part of your lifestyle which means that you're not going to go back to the way things used to be, because I think that's the one missing thing that we don't tell people, is that when you make changes, they have to be changes for good, for life. You, you can never go back to the way things used to be, because obviously the way things used to be led you to a situation that wanted you to change. One of the things I did was just have lemon water, you know, every morning for the first 30 days, and, you know, introduce my meditation, and make sure I was doing that every day, and my gratitude journal, and once i felt like i was in a really really good practice and i had a really good routine going well then i would add something else in there and switch it up a little bit so small changes are key i think to, to lasting life changes
0: your mom tell us about um what it's like to be a mom and introduce all these health aspects to your to your child
1: I, i'm laughing because I, I just did a body scan with my son this morning he had to go to school and Uh, He was saying, um, okay, if I get up and have my breakfast, and if I get dressed really quickly, will you do another body scan before I go? You know, which which is the stuff dreams are made of, you know, for a parent who who teaches mindfulness. My child, I suppose, has been, without a doubt, the greatest gift that has ever come into my life. And, you know, children teach us how to be present. Children teach us the wonder of life that we forget as we grow into adults. I mean, I remember when he was just a toddler, you know, and getting his first words. and looking at the ground in the park and he's like mama 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 and we'll go over and he's pointing at an ant and i just remember this wonder and awe in his face and he just couldn't believe this tiny little thing crawling on the ground and i just thought wow isn't it amazing as we get older we just don't notice the beauty of the world around us we're so busy and we're moving so fast so through james i i really started to see the world again and to see the beauty in the world again and I personally feel like I've really started to live for the first time since I had James. I, I've, I've achieved more since I've become a mom. Um, you know, that's not to say it's challenging in times as well. being a parent is very challenging. Um, but I absolutely love it and he's been brought up with a mom who has been meditating when he wakes up every day. So I suppose I would get up first thing in the morning and I would meditate until he wakes up. So. Sometimes that's 10 minutes, sometimes that's 20 minutes, sometimes that's longer, depending when he gets out of bed. Meditation to him is the most normal thing in the world. That doesn't mean that he will do it or when I ask him to do it, but it's something that he's very used to being around. So I had a great meditation teacher in America who just said to me, you know, don't force it on him, don't ask him to do it, just let it become a very natural part of his life, you know, because as human beings, none of us like being told what to do. That's just the way we are. So... I find that often he, he was watching and um, oh, there was a the program on TV3 at the moment. There's a doctor in the house we were watching last night where they look at families and it's a very good program and they kind of helps to change their lifestyle. And he turned around to me when we were watching it and he said, Mom, why aren't they just telling them to use their breath? There was a girl who had anxiety on the program. And I have to say it just made my heart melt because you could see the genuine concern of my little six-year-old for this girl who has very bad anxiety and she was like mom it's like you i wish i wish they would just tell her to use her breath and which i thought was quite powerful from a six-year-old so you know james is very aware of food that doesn't mean that he doesn't want his sweets all the time and you know he's a very normal child where you go in and he wants a chocolate bar but again i'm all about balance you know he's allowed to his treats and have birthday parties and i consider myself to be a very normal mom from that perspective. I'm trying to make him aware that your health is the most important thing you have. And he's big into his football and sports now. So um, I'm just trying to tell him that, you know, the better you eat, the faster you'll be able to run and the healthier you'll be. So yeah, I think uh, being a parent is is a tough, but very, very, very rewarding job overall. Uh,
0: you give talks to, to parents. What is the, the common thing you see w- um, during your talks?
1: The one thing I try to really the message I try to hit home is to be present when you're with your kids. It's one of the most important things you can do. I think in the modern day world we've become obsessive list tickers, you know, so we we believe that we've achieved more if we stay in the office for longer or if we've ticked, you know, a hundred things off a list every day. Whereas actually you will have better quality of life and more happiness if you're present more often in your daily life. So being present while you're doing things with your children, like going to the park or if you only have an hour after work that you spend with your child, make sure that you're present for that hour and you're not on your phone and you're not you're distracted with other things. And you know, it's difficult enough, like nobody's perfect and if you have a stressful day at work, I mean, James often says to me, mommy, please put down the phone and I don't even realize I'm on it. So there is nobody that's perfect, but I definitely try. And I know that the quality of my interaction and my relationship with him, when I am present, is far greater. And also I notice his behavior when the quality of my interaction is far greater but it's about doing your best it's about enjoying being a parent you know very often in life we can forget that life is meant to be enjoyed because we're all striving for perfection or to be the best or all of these things that really at the end of the day are are just not important so one of the greatest gifts you can give is your time it's one of the greatest gifts we all have and time has become such a precious commodity and i think we need to review how we're looking at time and I actually have a bracelet I wear with um, the words slow down to speed up which is one of the hashtags I always use and what I mean by that is that the world is moving at such an alarming pace there's nothing we can do about how fast the world is moving but what we can do is look at how we respond and react to that so taking small moments off and making sure you take time for things that are important and recent research even with things like work show that You're better off taking three half-hour breaks during the day and leaving the office at five and coming home to your family than eating, you know, your lunch at your desk and coming home at nine o'clock where you're absolutely exhausted and you don't have time for your family and, you know, trying to find that balance and understanding that we need to take time for ourselves, you know, for our brains to have a little bit of a rest and for our body to catch up with our brain and, to be more creative and focused at work. So I I do think the day is coming where mindfulness and meditation are not going to be optional. I think they're going to be a necessity if the world continues to move as fast as it is. And I think things like technology are going to help us in this field as well, you know, with meditation and different things. So I think it'll all start to come together. But I just think at the moment, people are very sick. You know, we have got to come to the stage where for the sake of the health and well-being of ourselves and our family, we're going to have to try and strike a better balance.
0: What kind of meditation do you do?
1: So I would use my breath as a support most mornings, but I also have a couple of mantras that I use. Um, I was trained in primordial sound meditation in the Chopra Institute. I Yeah, I use different meditations. Sometimes if I'm traveling, I'll use music and guided meditations. I do my own visualizations sometimes. Um, And I actually have a Minding Mom group with about 700 moms where I do live meditations for them every week. And that's on Facebook. So I do a lot of different types of meditation. Usually in the morning when I wake up, I like just sitting. I like just sitting at my altar and just getting ready for the day and kind of setting an intention for the day. You know, thinking, what is it I want to achieve today? Or maybe just a very simple, you know, intention of everything is always working out for me. Today is going to be a beautiful day. Just even starting off with that kind of positive frame of mind really helps yeah so I just I love my meditation it's my most sacred part of my day now I just love I've gotten to a stage where I used to find it very difficult I used to think that we had to shut off our mind I used to put a lot of pressure on myself to do it well and what I realized over the years with some great teachers is that if you're doing it you're doing it well if you're giving yourself that space well then you're doing it correctly so it's just about you know the meditation process as well is about being easy with yourself and Sitting uh, with whatever arises, whether that's negative emotions or positive emotions, and just being kind to herself in a non-judgmental way.
0: Do you do the gratitude journal after your meditation, or is that in the evening when you come home?
1: No, I start my day with the gratitude journal, so I would write three things in the morning and um, three things that I'm grateful for, for and why and usually in the evening James and I have a little gratitude stone so I have one from Doctrine Barrow which is where I do a lot of my ret- retreats and James has one from the zoo so it's nice to just make a little stone from something that means something to you or the children and then you put it in your hand and you just scan through the day and it's a great way actually for parents to get some information out of the kids because I find it very difficult you know James would get into the car and i say so what did you do in school today and they'd say nothing and I say, well did you learn anything? No, not really. So at least in the evening, when I put the gratitude stone in his hand, he can scan through the day and I get all this lovely information from him. And then he thinks that the one thing he's grateful for that day. But it's interesting, when we are talking about that. Uh, the other night I was in a rush and I was actually had one of my meditations for the moms. And we'd read a story and done everything. And Jane said, will you just lie with me for a minute? And I was like, okay, but mommy has to go into her mom's because she has a meditation. And he said, Okay, after I just asked you, she said, 10 things that you're grateful for, today, And I was like, oh no, I've created a monster. This is totally my fault. And then he was saying, and then five things that people did or that you did for people. And I'm thinking, can we do this tomorrow? And he's like, no, no, mum. we're always able to do gratitude before we go to bed. So I was just kind of laughing at the irony of getting him wanting me to do it and me being in a rush, you know. So yes, gratitude I always find is a very powerful practice to go to if you're struggling during the day because there's always something to appreciate in each moment and even for myself, if I find myself frustrated as we do or if you're in traffic or if you're just having a bad day. I think it's a very powerful practice to just sit and think, okay, what is it in this moment that I can be grateful for? And just to change that energy in your body to one of stress, to one of appreciation, and it does really, really help.
0: You think everyone should have a gratitude journal?
1: Yeah, because I really do think that we consciously need to do things to make us happier. So our brains are primitive their reptilian brains. If someone had said to me years ago, you know, happiness is a choice, I don't know what I would have been responsible for saying to them because when you're suffering from depression and anxiety, it's certainly not what you want to hear. But over the many, many years of researching the last few years, and I'm reading another book on happiness at the moment, and I've read Don P. book on rewiring the brain. It's fascinating the amount of power we have. Years and years ago, we used to think that the brain was fully formed in the teenage years, and then that was it. That's just not true. We have the power to, you know, make our neurons speak to each other in different ways every single second of every day. And I find that a very powerful thing to know that if you're having a bad day or things aren't going well for you, that you have the power to change this. It might take a little bit of time, but you do. And I think your brain is like a muscle that needs to be trained and it needs to be trained daily. And that's really where I came with the idea of I used to do all or nothing. So I used to do, you know, two hours of something on a Saturday or an hour and a half of something on a Thursday. And if you need to do five minutes every single day, five minutes, if you like Tony Robbins said, if you don't have 10 minutes, you don't have a life. And five minutes just to spend on yourself every day. And if you wrote down three things you're grateful for and why, and even took four deep breaths and that was the only thing you did for 30 days I guarantee you'll see a difference you can't not see a difference because you're exercising your brain and you're bringing your central nervous system down you're you're toning it down a little bit so it's really really important that we start to understand that we have an awful lot to do with how we feel. So the food you put into our body, the daily happiness habits that we have. Like I remember years ago talking about daily happiness habits and someone laughing at me and putting up their hands and saying, oh, you're the most ridiculous person I ever come across in my life. And, Oh, you were a model. I've never heard anything so ridiculous. Daily happiness habits. And I said to him, I, you know, would really love for you to try something for me and to see that i absolutely get where you're coming from because that's exactly how I would felt as well. In fact, I would be 10 times more angry than you if I had heard this and I wasn't in a great place. And this particular gentleman said, fine, okay, whatever. And he kept a gratitude diary. And I got the most beautiful letter from him a couple of months later, the most beautiful letter, because you might not think it'll work. And when you have tried so many other things and you've been to specialists and you've been to doctors and everybody's telling you different things, that you kind of think, could something so simple really be so powerful? And it can be. And sometimes we have overcomplicated life to such an extent that everything seems so complex and sometimes the power comes when we simplify things. You know, when we strip things away, when we simplify our life. My life is far simpler than it's ever been before. And I'm far more content than I've ever been in my life. So there is great power in very small in those small habits.
0: After going to a specialist and getting medication um, do you feel that what you've done now has helped you, um, your brain your and your depression, reduce?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I would very, very, very rarely have any problems now. I mean, I have bad days like everybody else, but I work hard at staying well. But, you know, I have a completely different lifestyle now. Like most of these modern-day illnesses are lifestyle-determined. You know, when we go to the doctor and we get medication, but we don't change how we live. And if we don't change how we live and we don't change how we think and we don't change what we're doing every day, a is not going to get you very far. And that's something that was never really chose to me, something that was never explained. It has to come with a bigger picture. It has to come with, I say, finding your own formula. And because we're all so different, there's not one thing that will work for everybody. So, you know, I think we all need to look at a different, a mixture of therapy and breathing and you know exercise whether that be cardio and a mixture of maybe trying yoga and going out and getting some air like one of the things that people aren't doing at the moment is connecting to things like nature you know it's really important that we get outside and we get some air people are stuck in offices all the time or even moms who are home with their kids find that they're running around all day and they're in and they're cooking and they're cleaning and you know i know myself some days you think oh my god the whole day has passed haven't even gotten inside and got some fresh air so it's almost like Stepping away from yourself and going above yourself and looking down like a helicopter and observing your life and different aspects of your life and thinking, do I get me fresh air every day? Am I eating well? And, you know, you don't have to become overwhelmed with this. It's like just small changes and just see, okay, this is something I don't do. This is something I don't give myself time for. And if you're going kind to of like, I just don't have time to exercise, everybody has time for what they make a priority for everybody everybody has the same 24 hours in a day if there's like incredibly successful people who can fit all of this into their days and i used to be the person that was saying i don't have the time for this do you know what it's like to be in my life do you know what it's like to be me and blah 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 so i want to say all of those things but the reality of it is that if something means a lot to you and you want something badly enough you will find the time for it
0: when you made these changes did your parents see the reaction as well um, this happening
1: oh yeah I mean my my friends and family are like I'm by far the most annoyingly happy person they know <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah like in the beginning I remember going back to college and studying nutrition and in the beginning I was that and uh, it's really funny because we've another friend at the moment who's studying nutrition and she's very much like commenting on everybody and just we're out and she's making comments. And I turned around to a couple of the girls and I said, oh my God, was I that annoying? And she, they were like, no, you were 10 times worse, Ali. You were 10 times worse. And I went, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Because when, you, when something is working, you get very excited about it and you want the world to know about it and you're screaming it from rooftops. So I was like really OTT and I probably be irritated people in the beginning, But, like, that um, saying is so true, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. So I just now live this lifestyle but everybody's always intrigued. Like, even my sister over in London, who I stay with quite a bit, it's like, okay, so what will I do in the morning? And she would have been someone who was quite resistant to change. So when you live differently and you truly are living a different lifestyle and you are healthier and you are happier, people want a bit of that. And they want to know, okay, do you know what? Like, people in New York, when I... Have lived there. Have said to me, "Oh my God! If you can turn your life around the way you have, it's possible for anyone to do it. Anyone at all, you know." And I do believe that it's possible for absolutely anybody. I really, really do. You know, you just have to change what you're doing now, and you just have to work at it for a while until it becomes habit, um, and you have to want it badly enough. And I do believe it's possible.
0: Do you become a nutritionist?
1: Yeah, I'm just finishing my I'm studying nutritional therapy at the moment. I went back and studied NLP as well, so I'm a certified uh, health and wellness coach i'm a certified nlp practitioner i went back and did a world food mastery level three in between all of that i also went back into business in the national college of ireland since james was born so i have and i am still in college for the past six years
0: wow and what's nlp
1: nlp is neuro-linguistic programming so it's another form of coaching so neuro-linguistic programming is about changing behavior patterns and it's also there's a lot of hypnosis neuro-linguistic programming I use the term hypnosis not in the way people think, not in a Keith Barry way. Hypnosis is kind of like deep meditation, in my opinion, where, you know, you would bring clients through a timeline, maybe if they had had a trauma, and you would bring them back through that, through the trauma, and what you're doing is you're getting rid of the emotional. The memory will still be there, but that emotional pattern won't, and that emotional memory. So it's just about using keen language and changing you know, those type of things with people. It's a really powerful practice, NLP, I find that. Like, for example, Tony Robbins would be a master NLP practitioner. So that's what he would be, and oh. um, with all his seminars and everything. So that's that's what's underlying in a lot of what he's using, is NLP.
0: It's, it's amazing, I think, that you're actually programming the code of the body to do something completely different.
1: Yeah, because, like, you have to remember your cellular memory doesn't remember if an experience is good or bad. It just holds on to that memory, that cellular memory. And that's why old things that happened in our childhood can come back up again, you know, and present in different forms. So I'm fascinated by behavior change in human beings. I'm fascinated by the fact that we can go back in and do these things and help. It's really, for me, it's all about helping someone to move on, helping them to heal, helping them to live better, and knowing that there's so much we can do to help ourselves. I mean... I know growing up that, I don't know how many times I've heard the word, you know, a leopard never changes its spots, or, oh, that's just the way that person is, you know, that's the way they'll always be. So it's kind of imprinted in us with this idea that people don't change, you know, that that's just the way people are. But, like, people can change if they want to. And I think it's a very limiting self-belief that we instill in people that... Oh, you know, even in school, this is what you're good at, this is what you're not good at. So that's just as far as you will ever go in life. And I just don't believe that that's true with human beings. I think that we have so much potential as human beings in so many different ways. And most of us don't live our potential because we've been told that we can't or don't or shouldn't or, you know, we're, we're not good enough. I mean, the greatest disease that most people are struggling from in modern day life is the disease of I'm not good enough. You know, we all have it on some level. That's the reason why we don't push ourselves and we don't push through our fears. So I am very passionate about getting people to take risks and be better and live better because I know that it's possible for everybody to be happier, to be more content and to feel more fulfilled in their life. It's just that we just need to to think about how we live a little bit differently and we absolutely cannot escape the fact that we need to spend time with ourselves and we need to work on that inner being because when we work on that inner being our inner being and our inner well-being affects directly reflects what's going on in our outer world and what we're attracting to us so i remember wayne dyer saying years ago when he was being interviewed by oprah oprah god it was probably when the Secret came out and she said to him oh the secret and blah 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 it's doing very well and you know I thought you of all people would have been part of that way and he said well you know for me I see things a bit differently he said I see that you know it's not just about what you think it's about you attract what you are it's about the whole being and there is a difference you know because you attract how you really feel is the energy you're kind of vibrating in and we can change the energy that we're vibrating at with the words we use with how we live with movement of our body so i'm deeply interested with all of this and the fact that you know that that's book that was written in 1925 called The Game of Life by Florence Sherwood shinn It's one of the most amazing books. So thin. It's absolutely incredible. And it's basically based on universal law. And it's absolutely fantastic. And again, it goes back to watching your words, watching how we speak to ourselves, watching how we speak about to others. It's very very powerful when we bring everything back um, to those very simple things because most of us aren't very nice to ourselves. We wake up in the morning and we say, oh my god, look at my skin, or oh my god, look at those jeans on me, and it's just not a very good habit to get into that negative self-talk first thing in the morning because then you're, you have yourself in that energy and that is the energy you're attracting, which fascinates me.
0: If you could do this to your to yourself and tell your younger self, what would it be?
1: Oh, that like, you are so much more than you think you are, but also for me, you know, where I am now, I'm quite happy I've had the life I had because I wouldn't be able to be the teacher I am or work with people had I not had all those experiences. But definitely the one thing I would say as a model and sitting in all those rooms is that you are good enough. You are good enough to be here, you know. So understand that you're good enough and enjoy it a little bit more, you know. Let your hair down. Enjoy it. Not in the way, I let your hair down. Probably let your hair down now just enjoy it in the way of kind of relish the moment I think there was there was very little time when I was younger where I was really in the moment you know I was always worried about the past or worried about the future or living with anxiety so that I think the greatest gift we can give our young people is giving them the tools to cope and letting them know that they are good enough and letting them explore things for themselves and, and follow their instincts and go after what they are genuinely interested in and what makes them feel good. I think there's no greater gift. Life is far too short to live any other way.
0: Is there a particular book in your mind or interview that you love listening to or reading?
1: Oh God, Well, my I? I? just finished The Book of Joy by the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu, which I think everybody should read. It's beautiful. You really feel like you spent the week with them in Dara Masala. Like it's just such a beautiful book to read and both of them have been through so much it's a book that really teaches us about like forgiveness and compassion in the truest sense of the words you know what I mean that people that have been through so much can genuinely feel compassion for the people that haven't been very kind to them you know I read so much like my friends are always like how on earth does somebody read so much I I just love books that's all I do so I love books it's about to to TV trying to think I would listen to something inspirational every day so I would get up and listen to something from you know Tony Robbins or Abraham Hicks I love listening to as well that's Esther and Jerry Hicks Jerry passed away not long ago but I love listening to anything that inspires me like Super Soul Sundays from Oprah but I kind of have a rule that I read or listen to something inspirational every day like someone like Les Brown if I want something really kind of upbeat and Gabrielle Bernstein is another wonderful teacher. Marianne Williamson, who is, you know, her book, The Return to Love, is one of my favorite books based on A Course in Miracles. And um, I'm a huge fan and student of A Course in Miracles as well. And I just love Marianne Williamson. I think she's an incredible, incredible teacher. But there's so many beautiful and incredible teachers out there today. Dr. Wayne Dyer, which has had a huge influence on my life. And very interestingly, when I was writing my book, I was writing about him in the chapter on gratitude, actually. I kept getting pulled to reading his stuff that week. And I was watching his movie, The Shift, for the third time that week. And strange things like this happen to me where I'm just drawn to things. And I don't really know why, but I just go with it. And I was watching the movie, The Shift, again, thinking, I can't believe I'm watching this again. But there must be a message in here for me that I've missed. And then I looked up and I I was looking on Facebook and he had just passed away. So I just thought it was so interesting that week that he was on my mind. I was reading his stuff. I was watching his stuff. I was watching his movie and then he passed away. So I did dedicate the chapter, that chapter I was writing at the time, to him in my book. I think he was an absolutely incredible teacher. I think there's so many great and wonderful spiritual teachers out there now. and There's some great coaches out there. And there's a coach and there's someone for everybody because... I think I resonated with Wayne Dyer because he spoke about alcohol a lot. So the things that we resonate with people because we've been there or we've been through things ourselves, do you know what I mean? So you kind of, you kind of, I think you're, you're drawn towards a teacher that you need something from at the time. I'm a great belief that there's something higher, something bigger than us that's actually pulling the strings.
0: We just need to tune into it. What inspired you to write your book?
1: because I went looking for the exact book I wrote. <laughs> um, when I was struggling with postnatal depression and I wasn't feeling great, I was looking around at a lot of my friends and, you know, only a few of my friends had kids at the time, so I didn't have many people very, very close to me that had had children. You know, my friends who had three and four kids I didn't have any kids at the time. And I was just struggling, and I was crying an awful lot at this stage. And I I remember going looking for a book. Remember, we had no mommy pages, we had no mom's net, we had none of these websites. None of them existed as little as seven years ago believe it or not i remember going into bookshops and asking for a book for moms and they didn't have any and i was working in london and i went in and i went into a huge bookstore because i went oh my god it's like if you're going to find it anyway you'll find it in london and i remember going into the bookstore and the lady going yes yes we've loaded the book for months and i thought oh thank god and i was so fragile at this stage and she brought me over to this whole section, and she could see that I was, like, just about to start crying. She's like, are you okay? And I went, all these books are for moms? And she was like, like for babies, sorry. And I said, no, I'm looking for a book for me. And you remember her kind of standing back, and she was like, do you know what, actually, no, we don't have any books for moms at all. So I kind of started to think, well, why not? Like, why don't we? And that's when I started thinking, God, does everyone just cope really well? Am I the person that's either ungrateful or not able or... And I became very tough on myself then because I thought, you know, I must be a bad mom or I can't believe I can't even cope with just one child. Like, there's people out there with lots of children and I can't cope with one. What kind, And I always thought I'd be a great mom because I was always told I was great with kids and I adore kids. It was something I never really understood. I mean, there's a couple of books out there for moms, but the book covers the full 360 of health and well-being for mom. It covers the early days. It covers, you know, body image the whole chapter on nutrition and exercise and... Meditation And the three meditations on my website and the book resources section and gratitude and work-life balance. And it just covered all the really important things that I felt weren't really um, spoken about openly and that are actually really, really important and need to be spoken about more. And now things have come a long way since then in that very short time. very long way. We are both speaking more openly now, but I still think the pressure on women is just as bad, if not greater, than it ever was.
0: And the title of the book is?
1: It's Minding Mom, It's Time to Take Care of You.
0: That's a beautiful title. Thank you. If there's something that you've learned, experienced, and that's in the fore of your mind when you meet everybody, what would it be?
1: Because people always ask me the question, I want to be better. But I don't know how. And the one thing I always say to people is nothing changes if you don't. Nothing changes if you don't. I think that's the most important first step that people need to understand. Um, because we're being sold all over the Internet these days, 21-day wonders or eight weeks to a better you or get your summer body in seven weeks. And then that's what happens after the seven weeks so you go back to living the way you were before. So I'm, I'm a big fan of kind of long-term you know, ideas and programs like meditation and gratitude and things that you're going to do every day for the rest of your life, not something that you're going to do for eight weeks or 21 days because it's a lifetime of change. And that's where the truth is. And it's also about changing your story. We tellers have stories of how we live. And we all have to have a story because that's who we are. And I had to change my story to change my life. Like I had to change how I saw myself, how I spoke about myself, i was also a bit of a victim at times you know if anything went wrong i would have blamed it on my agent or my mom or anybody actually you know my boyfriend or my job or something that happened last night when i was out but it's like when you start to take responsibility for yourself it's a very difficult thing to do because often you'll have to look at aspects of yourself that probably aren't very nice and you know i don't care who you are in this world even if you're a saint Everybody has a a shadow side. Everybody has a darker side. And as they say in that Cherokee tale, you know, and the two worlds, and it's which aspect of yourself that you feed, you know. I and I I think that's just so so important. I mean, I remember reading it, and it's when a Cherokee tells his grandson there is a battle between two worlds. One is evil. It is anger, jealousy. And greed and resentment, inferiority lies and in ego. The other is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, humility, kindness, empathy, and truth. The boy thought about it and asked his grandfather, which world wins? And the old man quietly replied, the one you feed. And I think that is the greatest gift and story that any of us can really learn because it is the one you feed. You know, and for years and years and years, because of my depression and anxiety and addiction, I was feeding the wolf that fed into jealousy and anger and ego and everything. So I just try to wake up now and I try to feed the good one. And I think as human beings, it's important that you, to be aware of that and, and to know that, you know, that there's no escaping doing the work. But the work is it's very, I don't really, when I use the term work, you know, some people have a, an association with the word work that's negative. I love work I love what I do so I suppose my association is not negative and the work that I do in myself is work that I fully enjoy fully fully enjoy you know
0: I love it where can we find you Alison?
1: on com.
0: and if people want to join your your mom's meditation classes is that through Facebook? yeah
1: like everybody's welcome I'm going to start doing meditations on my Facebook page Alison Canavan official as well but just you can join my my minding mom group it's a private group so just ask to join. It's just Facebook forward slash Minding Mom group. And just ask
0: to join and we'd love to have you. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on to the show and sharing your journey Thank experiences. Thank you so much, Erin. Thank you for spending the time to listen to the show. If you want to learn more, check out sansit.com.
1: That's S-A-N-C-I-T dot Join Sansit group on Facebook
0: and contact us if you have any questions. Until next time, have an awesome day and rock on.